Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, there was a curtain in the sanctuary of the temple that was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain separated the most special part of the temple from the rest of it. It's called the Holy of Holies. No one could go in there. This curtain wasn't really skinny like our curtain. It was four inches thick. That's like the thickness of two Winnipeg phone books. You remember what a phone book is? Okay. It's that thick. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, way bigger than that window. But think about it, four inches thick. When it tore, it tore from top to bottom. No human being could do that. What's the significance of that curtain being torn? Well, it talks about that in another part of the New Testament. And it goes like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. What that means is we have instant access to God through Jesus' death. You're not put on hold. You don't have to deal with security or some administrative assistant or some religious ritual to get right with God, to connect with Him. Jesus has torn that curtain in two. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of commemorate what happened. I want everyone to grab their piece of black paper like this. Okay? It's perfectly okay to do this because this is a good learning tool for us, all right? And when I count one, two, wait till I start. One, two, three, we tear it together, okay? Are you ready? One, two, three. All right. He is risen. if I've told you this story before, but it's so good, I needed to resurrect it, pun intended, for Easter. It's a true story, and it's a really cool one. Um, a long time ago, I don't know, just a couple of decades, it sort of flew by, um, I was traveling with some colleagues, some pastor colleagues from Ontario to Calgary, and we were at this conference, and kind of bored, and we, our sleep system was all kind of out of whack. So we said, let's go into town. And this is how pastors go on a tear. They go, living on the edge, let's go for pizza. So we went for pizza. And we're eating our pizza. Uh, I'm sure we probably prayed over it, if you're wondering. Anyway, we were eating our pizza, and we noticed this conversation going on on the table next to us. It's really interesting. These two guys are earnestly discussing evangelism on the campus of the University of Calgary. Sorry, ears kind of perk up. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. These two individuals are Muslims, and they're discussing how to propagate or evangelize people to believe in, to follow Islam at the University of Calgary. Well, we got into a fascinating conversation that went on way past our bedtime, whatever it was, whatever time zone we were in. It was so interesting. And at the end of the conversation, one of the Muslim fellows came up with a very perceptive comment. He said, 
if the resurrection is true, we should become Christians. If the resurrection is not true, you should become Muslims. I thought, that's a pretty fair summation of our very respectful dialogue that we had that night. Okay, if the resurrection's true, you guys become Christians. If the resurrection's not true, sign me up. Why not? That's kind of what Easter's all about. The, the, the truth, the, the whole power, the whole saving grace, so to speak, of Christianity really hinges on the resurrection and whether Jesus came back from the dead or not. Here's a reading from 1 Corinthians 15. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, if we only gambled, so to speak, or risked everything to follow Jesus, if we only went all in for Jesus for this life, how pathetic. We really missed the boat. We just missed it. Because we would have given everything up to follow a line or a dream that just didn't come true. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. We don't have time today to go into all the historical proof for the resurrection. It's not scientific, because scientific proof works in a laboratory where you repeat an experiment. Historical proof means we go back in history and examine all the data and examine everything that happened and we can deduce what happened from eyewitness accounts. And that's how we know the resurrection happened. But the whole concept of Jesus coming back from the dead in the first place is such a game changer in history. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Jesus is the ultimate forerunner, the one who goes first ahead of us. And if God raised him from the dead, that gives us tremendous hope, and not just hope, confidence, that he will raise us from the dead, those of us who put our trust in him, because God makes that possible through Jesus. This is how it works. So you see, just as death came into the world but through a man, through Adam's rebellion against God, sin enters the world, now... Through the resurrection from the dead, the, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. It, the resurrection of the world has begun and, and continues to go on because Jesus started it. God started it when he raised Jesus from the dead. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. I had a brief conversation with someone on the, um, before the service this morning and telling me about a family member who's sick, and I said, you know, man, you just can't get away from mortality, can you? You just can't get away from the fact that we all die. I don't know if you've discovered this, but I find that funeral directors are some of the funniest people in the world. They have the best sense of humor. They have the most positive outlook on life, perhaps because they're dealing with death all the time, and they realize life is short. Let's make the most of it. Let's make it worthwhile. Let's make it count. Most of us don't like death. We, we, we push away the thought of 
mortality, but it's true. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, because literally, figuratively, Adam went ahead of us, and just as he dies, we are all going to die. As much as we don't want to think about it, everybody's got to go sometime. It is inevitable. Wow. What a downer. How do you feel about that? It's inevitable. I had a, a, a very senior friend of mine tell me a few years ago, you know, Rick, after preaching about the resurrection, he told me one Easter, you know, Rick, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying. I'm kind of anxious about the process of dying, but I'm not afraid of death, the final state. Pretty good summation. The transition, you know, from living to death is kind of a scary thought. But that final resting place, that, that, that state of death, we know for the Christian, we don't have to be afraid of that. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. When does that new life start? Sometime in the future? No, it starts now. The new life, let me in on a fabulous secret. The new life with Jesus starts as soon as you start to follow him. Things start to change. As we cooperate with him. As his spirit gives us little gentle nudges and say, no, don't choose this, choose that. I can give you power to, to make better choices and to live life the way you're meant to live. That's new life. That's what it looks like. It is not pie in the sky, by and by when we die. It's not, eternal life doesn't start after we die. Eternal life starts now for anyone who begins to follow Jesus. That's God's intention for us. But there's an order, but there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. We won't know the fulfillment of this tremendous event until Jesus comes back, and he will come back. Lots of people trying to predict that, lots of interesting theories, lots of people making a pretty decent living on TV trying to predict when Jesus comes back. I'm not sure the details. No one is. Even Jesus is not sure of the details. Just know that he's going to come back. In the meantime, we follow him and we live that new life. We can experience that new life that this passage of scripture is talking about. What happens next? After that, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. There are all kinds of rebellious powers rebelling against God right now. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to abolish all that. It'll be the end of rebellion against him, the end of sin, uh, the end of discord. There hardly be any news except for good news, actually. <laughs> Maybe all the news agencies will go out of business unless they report good news of Jesus coming back. Because Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want to sit on this last sentence for, not literally, but stay with this last sentence for a few moments. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the enemy of us all. It rips families apart. It rips friendships apart. Again, as I was saying, it is just inevitable. It happens to all of us. 
but the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and Jesus will destroy it. That's why when we say goodbye to people at funerals, for a Christian anyway, it's more like a see you later than a permanent farewell. It's heartbreaking to do a funeral where you're just not sure where the person is at. I mean, ultimately it's up to God. It's not my job to judge, it's not your job either. So let me take that pressure off you. All of us, we're not gonna, you know, God knows and He is fair. But it's so reassuring when you know that someone has followed Jesus all their life and leaned into Him and depended on Him to change them and to give, and depended on Him for this new life in Christ. And there's enough evidence to make you think, yeah, Jesus is really working in that person's life. And you know that you're going to see them again. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a St. Patrick's Day party, and one of the prizes I won was a bar of Irish Spring soap. This, ooh, and I could, I could retire on that. Um, and uh, I had a little bit of a soap crisis the other day. Soaps. Soap shortage, say that carefully. So I got up my, my bar of Irish Spring, and that brought back really vivid memories of my friend Gore. Uh, Gore Jackson and I met when we were 14. We actually were playing softball against each other, and the next day, we found ourselves in the back of my dad's car, hurtling rest recklessly to a youth conference that was going on for a week. My dad was always made up time on the road. And I was used to it, but my friend was petrified, he told me later. But anyway, we got there safely and back. And Gordon and I spent a week rooming together I brought my bar of Irish Spring, and early that week we went shopping at the Kitchener Farmer's Market, which is fabulous farmer sausage that stayed in our room for the week, so that Gord remembers me by, um, he would often refer back to the smell of Irish Spring and farmer sausage united <laughs> in our dorm room. We were 14, you know, at least I was showering regularly with my Irish Spring. Gordon and I became really good friends, best buddies, bonded together by Irish Spring and Farmer Sausage. And uh, about 10 years ago, Gord got cancer. And he died really quickly. Just a couple of months. He was a hard-working doctor, uh, just collapsed one day in the ER, thought he'd been working too hard. He always looked on the verge of collapse. And uh, they took him and did a scan, and he said he just lit up like a Christmas tree. I was really angry, I was mad at God, I was begging and praying and fasting, and a lot of people were praying, and I went to visit him uh, in March, I think, and I said, in Ontario, I said, Gord, I'm going to be back in a couple of months to do a wedding, you hang on, and I will see you then, but he didn't, he died a month later, and went to the funeral, and at the funeral, we said uh, the Apostles' Creed. You know that? You're familiar with that? Some of us grew up with that. And, and part of the, it's kind of the basics of Christianity all written out. And partway through it says, I believe in the resurrection. 
And by that time, I'm bawling my eyes out saying, yeah, I believe. Not because I want it to be true, because it is true. You know, I wasn't trying to make the resurrection real by me wishing it. It was true. It was a reality. And I remember carrying out my friend's casket, and the hearse picked it up, and his little boy, his youngest little boy, who's about four at the time, they open the casket, and he slips in a final goodbye note and some trinkets for his dad. They load it up, and I remember the feeling, how desolated I feeling felt watching that car drive down the street, and it turned, and that was it. No more board. No more board. Where's my friend? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I'm going to see Gord again, not because I desperately want it to be true. I'm going to see Gord again because Jesus made it true. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, but that enemy will be destroyed. Let me give you the big picture of the story of the kingdom. This, this fellow is N.T. Wright. He's uh, an Anglican teacher from England. He's a brilliant theologian. And this is how he summarizes the, the big story, the kingdom of God. Act 1, God makes a good and pure, uh, beautiful world, right? Genesis 1. Humankind betrays the Creator's trust. We mess it up. The first Adam fails, right? Sin comes into the world. The Creator starts over. He starts over with a promise to Abraham. The Jewish people are, are, the nation begins there, and God's plan is that through the Jewish nation, everyone would come to a relationship with Him. Well, things don't go so well, and the Creator enters the story again as Jesus. He lives, dies, and rises again. Then the closing act that I've been talking about is the Creator intervenes to bring down the curtain, like the story is over and Jesus comes back. What happens in Act 5? Chapter 5? That's kind of up to us. Our calling is to live lives of faithful improvisation. What that means is the gap between Jesus rising again in Act 4 and Act 6 when He comes back. Jesus invites us now to live out a life of resurrection and invite people to follow him. Get it? That's kind of where we're at right now. We're right now we're in Act 5. And this is the this is what we're communicating with people. This is the good news we're sharing with people. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus Christ, God is at work to redeem, reconcile, restore, and renew the cosmos. Not just you and me as individuals, but the whole deal. That's God's plan. And how do we know this is going to happen? Because of the resurrection. The Bible says he's the, Jesus is the first one. He's kind of leading the Easter parade. This is the real Easter parade. All right? And if you want to wear a bonnet, that's fine. But get in on this. Be part of that Easter parade. Let me read you a passage from uh, Colossians chapter 1. I'll give you the big picture. We look at this Son, Jesus, and see the God who cannot be seen, right? That's why Jesus came. He's the God who couldn't be seen, but He's the God. Now we know what God looks like. We look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything. 
above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. When it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together as a head does the body. He was supreme at the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, as we were talking about today. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. So the big picture is that God is putting everything back together and restoring a broken creation that includes broken people. He's putting it all back together through Jesus. Now let me ask you kind of a strange question. Luann showed me a fascinating blog this week. Um, this lady said, basically, what if Jesus didn't want to come out of the tomb? It seems like kind of an odd question, but think about it for a moment. You're tortured and beaten to death. And you're in this tomb by yourself. It's cool and quiet. There's no one there hating you or persecuting you. Why go back out into the world again when you're going to be just, you know, the same thing may happen. Like, did Jesus want to? Of course he did. But wouldn't it be tempting just to stay there? Maybe a little hunger. They can wait. I need to put myself back together. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be? Well, how would you feel? Would you feel tempted to stay there? And the writer of the blog went on to say, you know, we are resurrection people. We are Easter people. Jesus has given us this new life. So why do we hold back sometimes? A little bit scared to enter into this new life with Jesus. It's going to be new challenges. He wants us to give up habits that drag us down. He wants us to, to, to give up to renounce, actually, negative thought patterns and lies that have dominated our lives. He may want us to forgive people. It takes courage to forgive people, even to start forgiving. Even if you don't feel like it, just to try to start forgiving someone. It's going, to it's going to involve change. Even if God is helping you change everything, it's going to involve some kind of change, some kind of step of faith. And that can be really daunting. When our son Caleb was about two or three, he had a green little tykes tractor with a yellow trailer on it. He loved that thing. And in his rubber boots, he would rumble up and down our sidewalk collecting all kinds of debris to put in his trailer. And one day we went to the supermarket together. And he pulls himself up, he drags rattle, rattle, rattle. I can still, I'll never get that sound out of my head. And he stops in front of the black man before the automatic door. And you can tell he's trying to figure this out. There's no one there. Who's going to open the door? There's no handle. Dad's not going to intervene. He's just there. It's like, what? What's going to go on? And I say, Caleb, just, it's okay. Just, just go on to the mat and the door will open. And he looked at me. He's like, yeah, do you think I'm stupid? You know, do you have two heads down? You've got to be kidding me. And I finally coaxed him onto the black mat. And what do you think happened? 
door opened. Now, did Caleb open the door? Kind of, right? It was his, in response to that act of faith, so to speak, the door opened, right? And we can get all technical and debate and say, you know, talk about all the mechanics of it. But basically, because Caleb stepped out and stepped on that mat, the door opened. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to come out of the tomb, so to speak, and grab a hold of this new life and learn how to appropriate this new life in Christ, it takes courage. It might require us to forgive. It's going to take risk. Then we experience the life God intended for us in the first place. Wouldn't it be sad to miss out, totally miss out on Easter? I mean, you can eat all the chocolate and buy all the little bunny rabbits you want. But to truly miss out on Easter would be really unfortunate. You can stay safe and stay self-protective in the tomb and not follow Jesus. But I tell you, friends, um, God is calling us to be part, to be, God is calling us to be Easter people and to be part of the resurrection parade. So as we take that step and follow him, he's going to give us the power and the energy. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us, if we ask him. Now, if you want to try to follow Jesus on your own strength, all I can say is, like, good luck, been there, done that. I don't want to look at the t-shirt anymore. For me, I'm going to try to lean into the power of the resurrection all the time. Okay? And this new life in Christ. That's what I really encourage you to do. Some of you may have some more questions and are wondering, how do I put all this together? How do I have this reality in my life? I encourage you to talk if you Come with a friend, you can talk to them, or if you contact us through the church, those contact cards are good things. We will get back to you this week, guaranteed. But I just want to leave you with this. Why not follow Jesus out of the tomb today? Okay? Don't stay stuck. If you feel stuck, and I'm not blaming you or judging you if you feel stuck, sometimes life can, can hit us sideways, and we might be grieving or scared or hurting or resentful or whatever your stuff is. But let me encourage you to reach out to God and ask Him to make this new life a reality, not a theory, okay? Not something that just works for other people or in those books or things like that. Uh, when I was a kid, when I went to Sunday school, it was amazing. With Sunday school stories, everything seemed to resolve nicely in the last paragraph. And I understand why they did that, because, you know, you can only make the story so long, and you want to make it comprehensible for kids. Life is not always neat and orderly like that. But God is with us. And that's the power of the resurrection that's available to us. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so glad that Jesus is back from the dead. It is amazing. It's a game changer. And you've offered us this new life. We want to experience it in its fullness. And we recognize that some of us are more comfortable just kind of staying in the dark and, and not wanting to take that risk of following you. But I pray in the name of Jesus that you will comfort those who need comfort today and challenge those who need challenging and reveal yourself to us. We want to join this resurrection in all of its fullness. 
So Lord, we repent, we lay our junk down before you, and we ask that you would continue to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, including his resurrection power. Thank you that death is dead. In Jesus' name.